Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every week and we do our best to bring you up to date with what is happening to public education in Australia because it needs to be defended. We are the defenders of public education in Australia. And uh, I'd just like to start off with a press release 8.20, because this press release will give you some idea of the other things that we are going to be talking about today. It's been a week of tremendous activity in the press on a number of issues that the dogs have been talking about. And this is press release 8.20, Dogs' Predictions Come to Pass 60 Years Later. 60 years after the reintroduction of state aid to private religious schools in the 1960s, Dogg's predictions have come to pass. It did not take the wisdom of a prophet or the son of a prophet or the daughter of a prophet to predict what was likely to happen. Now, the proof of what has happened and what we said would happen is in the evidence in the press this week. Issues have surfaced in the press in at least the last two weeks anyway. Dogs predicted back in the 1960s when we were established that our children and our society would be divided along religious, ethnic and class lines. And so we have a recent publication on Inside Story with Tom Greenwell writing a very illuminating and timely Everyone loses when schools are segregated, but some more than others. And this is really quite a learned um, article, which we will talk about in detail later. But he is really only saying what Dog said would happen. Our children are divided, and our society, as a result, is also becoming more and more divided. And those of us who are a bit long in the tooth are looking around, remembering the 1930s and two world wars and various other things in the the 20th century and asking, will the centre hold? And it will only hold, dear listeners, if we teach our children to live together and if we all learn to live together. But we are fragmenting. Because we predicted that Australians would suffer the loss of religious liberty and the separation of church and state, which was enshrined in section, and is enshrined in section 116 of the Constitution, the Australian Constitution. Our forebears, our founding fathers, understood the importance of separation of religion from the state. But we no longer have it because it was read down and out in the famous dogs case of 1981. And now the state aid to religious schools and the lack of religious liberty, we are reaping the results because both Christians and non-Christians in Australia are now feeling under attack and all religious groups have their hands in the treasury till for taxpayers' money to fund their peculiar religious tenets. And they think that that gives them the right to discriminate against those of a different belief system. And so we have the current controversy surrounding Mr Morrison's religious discrimination bill and its evidence of the fragmentation of our society. 
and I've got a list here in our um, press release 820 on our website at www.adogs.info. It's a very long list of the press, press um, reports in the last two weeks. The Age had the National Discrimination Bill, you're not one of us, so don't bother to apply. Uh, the Guardian had Vinnie's refuses to be used to promote Coalition's new religious discrimination bill. The Sydney Morning Herald had an article entitled Do Unto Others, Power of Religious Religions to Discriminate Must Have Limits. And The Guardian had the Coalition's religious discrimination bill What's Changed and Can Doctors Refuse Treatment? Uh, then you have in the Eternity News... Um, which is a Christian uh, magazine, a whole list of people of religious Christian persuasion who have been rather badly treated. Uh, other people may not call it persecution, but they feel very badly treated when they have been losing their jobs. And they have been. They have been actually losing their jobs. Uh, you've got people like Folau and others who have lost their jobs because they have felt free to um, speak their religious beliefs. And this is a very sad situation that we should be in in Australia. Now, another thing that we predicted would happen is that our educational standards would fall behind those countries that resisted religious division and privatisation of their education systems. And now... Sixty years later, the PISA results are in. And it's PISA time again. Time to rerun what it again shows and the responses from the usual suspects. The headlines tell bits of the story. And here are some of the headlines we've had. Australia's students' maths performance falls, falls, to, o, falls to OECD average in worst results since 2000. The Guardian. Australian students behind in maths, reading and science and PISA education study shows. ABC News. Alarm bells. Australian students record the worst result in global texts. Sydney Morning Herald. And, of course, we had the usual deluge of opinion from the usual suspects, with Jordan Baker first off the block with the PISA problem. The rest of the world is moving away from us in the Sydney Morning Herald. Dan Tian, the Minister for Education, says that we should get back to basics and it's downhill from there. Then there were comments like alarm bells and wake-up call and the Conservatives in Australia are in full flight. And then after a few more days, you got more considered reflections on things like PISA. Um, the, the wider perspective you could read is Dean Ashenden's What's to be Done About Australian Schooling on Inside Story. And then Natasia Chrysanthus reports the pieces show that there's actually no public-private school difference. So all of these billions of dollars that we put into private education means that they're no better than our public schools. Well, we could have told you that many times, many years ago, because the religious schools are parasitic on the main system and the public system is the main system. And we are now seeing the results. Uh, you also had uh, Parsi Salberg, who comes from Finland, which has one of the best education systems in the world, uh, that the rush to reform is to ruin it uh, in The Guardian, and then Margaret Merger on the ABC News had a, a follow-up commentary on Parsi Salberg. Jordan Baker in the Sydney Morning Herald and Parsi Salberg also in the Sydney Morning Herald and uh, had further things to say. And then Chris Bonner from Save Our Schools came up with another very interesting, uh, hopefully wider perspective on uh, Pearls and Irritations, uh, John Menadieu's uh, blog site. So uh, there was a lot of, a tremendous amount of commentary about PISA. But really, the problem is that we have a shockingly unequal system 
the money is going in the wrong direction. Now, state aid, we said, back in the 1960s, would undermine our democratic institutions. In our democracy, in which citizens should be able to expect accountability for the expenditure of public money, we now have religious bureaucracies which act as a state within a state, demanding public money without having to adhere to basic accountability standards or legal requirements. I mean, we've just had a Royal Commission into child abuse and we have a church which thinks that child abuse was a moral issue, not a legal issue, and that they could deal with it in the confessional and they still want to deal with a lot of these things in the confessional. So they are acting as a state within a state on this matter and on many others. But although there's almost no accountability, although they duplicate our public systems, although they have been proved to abuse children in any number of ways, they are being rewarded for this behaviour. Uh, and this is really quite shocking. As well as that, we've had the TAFE privatisation scandal, which is a $19 billion scandal, which has been going on for several years. But, but the federal authorities have just spent another $10 million chasing shonky training providers who con taxpayers out of hundreds of millions of dollars, but not a single person's been charged with fraud over the scheme. Uh, and this scheme was introduced by none other than the Labor Party. So don't think for one moment that the dogs think that the Labor Party is really offering any better deal than the coalition in the long run. Now, the dogs also um, feel and thought that we had and we have craven politicians who give in to any and every demand of the private sector. In the last week, we have discovered that residents in Victoria will lose the right to object to the building of new private schools, which are paid for by the state government. The state government is giving an extra, I think it's $73 million for the extension of private education in this state. And if residents in a local area, for reasons of traffic and other, other, other matters, planning matters, uh, wish to object, they can't. It's been taken out of the hands of councils and given to Richard Wynne, the planning minister. They're going to be fast-tracked so that Catholic and independent schools can have the new schools that Mr Andrews is going to pay for, remembering that Mr Andrews' children, in fact, go to a Catholic school. So residents who object to the expansion of schools, such as Scotch College, which they did, will no longer be able to take complaints to their local council. Because, listen to this, the state government has responded to lobbying by planning consultant Urbis on behalf of more than 20 elite private schools, including Camberwell Grammar, Caulfield Grammar, Scotch College and Trinity Grammar. So these wealthy Protestant schools have fought the battle uh, together with Urbis, for the Catholic Education Office, which is licking its chops at all this lovely money for the expansion of their system in places where there are not even yet public schools. So dogs rest their case. We predicted all this would happen back in the 1960s, and it is happening. It is proof that state aid to private religious schools is bad for our children, it's bad for our education system. It's bad for our society. It's certainly very deleterious for any talk of religious liberty and separation of church and state. And it is disastrous for our democracy. And this is why we are still here. It's why I'm here reading this press release today, because our cause is indeed a worthy one. And we have been proved again and again to have been right in the stance that we have taken. So we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back with some more information about these matters that I have just been referring to. 3CR are selling kefir, Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. 
all profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at the station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for I'd like now, if it's possible, to refer you to Tom Greenwall's article, which is on Inside Story. Everyone loses when schools are segregated, but some more than others. Most people who are on the public school side these days are not really prepared to bite the state aid bullet the way the dogs are. But they are aware and they're prepared to go back and look at the history and say, yes, things are now topsy-turvy because we have given state aid. And Tom Greenwell is one of these people. He starts off with his article, Only 15 minutes from Parliament House, four Canberra schools reveal the growing segregation in Australian education and how government policy is, is at its heart unfair. And the story of how governments began providing state aid to non-government schools usually starts in 1962 in the New South Wales town of Goulburn, when school inspectors ordered a parish primary school, a Catholic one, to build an additional sanitary convenience or face closure. The cash-strapped church authority shut down all seven Goulburn Catholic schools in protest, forcing their students to descend on government schools ill-equipped to cope. Actually, in the end, they did cope, and a lot of those Catholic children were so happy in the schools that they didn't want to go back to their Catholic schools. So this, this, this Goulburn story is a very interesting, mythical story in Australian educational history. Now, after a week of national headlines, the argument that governments had an obligation to help church schools stay open and a strong financial interest in doing so was very effectively made. Soon, Prime Minister Robert Menzies and his government initiated a program of capital funding for church and government schools alike. At least that's how the story usually goes. In reality, state aid had already started flowing to some church schools years before the Goulburn strike. On the 10th of July 1956, the Canberra Times reported Acting Prime Minister Arthur Fadden's announcement that capital works in church schools in Canberra would be subsidised. So the rot started at the very heart of Australian politics in Canberra. 
The news was welcomed by the local Catholic and Anglican bishops, but critics argued that the money was needed more urgently by public schools. They pointed to the dire state of Tilopia Park High School, where there were eight classes without classrooms, a final examination class housed on a veranda end, and four teachers teaching 300 girls home management in one small, ill-equipped room. Even to motorists speeding along nearby Athlon Drive, the contrast with the school north of the footpath is clearly visible. The subsidy for church schools was justified as a way of guaranteeing to public servants who were moving to the capital in significant numbers the same amenities they were used to in their home states. As the historian Michael Hogan, who by the way is a Catholic historian, has observed, Menzies also appreciated the significance of creating a precedent for financing non-government schools. With support from his government, numerous new church schools sprang up in Canberra in the late 50s, and when the Woden Valley opened up in the 60s, Menzies' program helped create a Catholic boys' school on Mars Street in the new suburb of Pierce. A couple of years later, a co-educational public school opened next door. Side by side, not far from Parliament House, separated only by a few gum trees and a footpath, the two schools represented the hybrid education system Menzies was in the process of establishing, with its two distinct kinds of government-funded schools. As this system expanded under Menzies' successes, not least under Labor's Gough Whitlam's, Everybody thinks that Gough Wimplum was wonderful, but public education, he wasn't. He gave an enormous amount of money to private schools because that was the reason he wanted the DLP vote. The two schools grew under Whitlam and have since. Today, Mars Street in Pierce becomes clogged with school buses and SUVs every weekday morning to, as nearly 2,500 students arrive to attend either of these two schools. Over half a century later, the pair, so closely connected with the origins of state aid, provide an insight into the consequences of Menzies' innovation. On the south side of the footpath, the public school enjoys a strong reputation in the local community and the people try to buy into the surrounding suburbs to enrol their kids there. In recent years, the front of the school's been painted, roofing renewed, and the oval, long renowned as an ankle breaker, receded. But even to motorists speeding along nearby Athlon Drive, the contrast with the school north of the footpath, that's the Catholic one, is clearly visible. Expanding across some 15 hectares, the Catholic school features an Australian rules football oval, a rugby union pitch overlooked by a state-of-the-art stadium, and numerous soccer fields. Visitors typically comment on the lawns, gardens, trees and landscaping, which give the school an atmosphere of orderliness, beauty and peace. The school's website says, as well as the impressive collection of sculpture and other artworks. Earlier this year, the school's Jubilee building was officially opened with industrial arts workshops, visual arts studios, renovated prayer space, a senior common room and a new grandstand overlooking one of the many ovals. And this is not the only major new building erected in recent years. And so he goes on. Some 58% of the students at the non-government school come from the most privileged quarter of Australian families, while the ACT senators at the time, Zed Sajilja and David Smith, attended the opening of the school's new Jubilee building at the beginning of this year, the college magazine proudly noted that they both did so as parents of boys at the school. Next door at the public school, the proportion of similarly privileged students is less than half, 28%. There, 16% of students come from the most disadvantaged quarter of Australian families. At the Catholic school, only 1% of students fit the description. And the difference between the kids at these schools might be pronounced, but the gap between the two of them and the schools in neighbouring suburbs is even more revealing. At, from the back of Pierce, it's possible to climb Mount Taylor and at the summit turn back and look in a northerly direction to Parliament House and beyond. Turn to the south and you're looking over the district of along or God's country, to the locals. At the southern foot of the mountain are the suburbs of Kambar and Waniasa, each of which is home to public schools that begin in preschool and go through to year 10. 
But while they are only a few kilometres from the two schools in Pearce, these two schools serve a very different group of children. A third or more of their students come from the most disadvantaged quarter of Australian families. More than 10% of their students are Indigenous. The figure, by the way, is only 1% at the Catholic Boys' School in Pearce. And the two schools have almost three times the number of students, proportionally from language backgrounds other than English, than their counterparts in Pearce. In fact, the social disadvantage among students at the Tarragonal schools is greater than at any average Australian school, let alone the average Canberra school. And so it goes on. Now, well, there's nothing surprising in this. But it goes on, though, to point out that we actually have segregation. The problem is getting worse. And as, as the fees at the Catholic school in Pierce increased by a hefty 40% between 2011 and 2017, the divergent between the student populations at the two schools on Mars Street sharpened appreciably. So it's getting worse and worse. We are segregating our children, as Robert says again and again, on the basis of the bank account of their parents. And the children who have been left behind are, of course, not doing as well in their PISA results. There is a reason why we are falling behind in the international stakes. And I suggest that you continue to read what he has to say, but I'll just finish off with the final paragraph, then and now. And I'll ask Dale to read it, because then and now would be better in somebody else's voice, I believe. (laughs) Thanks, Jean. Then and now. As an origin story, the tale of the Goulburn strike conveys a number of morals that continue to underpin the way we think about our schools today. When Catholic parents and educators in Goulburn demanded that their children no longer be relegated to second-class schools, they asserted both the right to educate their children by their own lights and a claim to sector-blind government resourcing. Their success was critical to improving the marginalised status of Catholics in Australia and ending the nasty sectarian bigotry that accompanied it. It also helped establish a de facto consensus that, when it comes to the role of religion in education, parents should be able to decide what is right for their children and that all schools deserve public support. After all, as the school closures in Goulburn in 1962 graphically illustrated, fee-paying parents helped reduce pressure on the public purse, at least at the time. Today, the Canberra schools where state aid actually started symbolise how little the truths of the Goulburn strike continue to apply. Public funding doesn't keep the Catholic school on Mars Street open or buy its toilets it could otherwise not afford, or induce it to lower fees it charges parents. Just as kids from poor Catholic families can't access the Catholic school in Pierce, the majority of poor Catholics in Australia don't attend Catholic schools. Government funding to non-government schools might once have served to facilitate choice, but it no longer does today. Far from being sector-blind or a cost-saver, government funding to non-government schools has grown to the extent that many receive more public funding than comparable government schools. If all Goulburn's Catholic schools closed today and the students were forced to attend public schools, governments would actually save money. While massive taxpayer support is provided to non-government schools, they continue to be able to enrol, expel and charge fees as they please. And our schools have become more and more characterised by either privilege or poverty. And all of this was predictable. It was predictable back in Goulburn, which was a very interesting political exercise run by the Catholic Church 
Uh, and of course, over the years, anybody who's been watching the way they behave understands that the Catholic Church are past masters at playing the political games. And the public school people, of course, have tried to play the political games too and have failed because they have not spoken with one voice on the state aid issue. Now, um, that was the first point. That was the first prediction we made, that we would be segregated. Uh, And we'll have a bit of a break because I'd like to come back and talk about the Religious Discrimination Bill, which is a fascinating subject. 3CR's having a festive season craft auction fundraiser. Join us on Thursday the 12th of December for Radio Craft at 15 Smith Street, Fitzroy, right next door to the station. Doors open at 5.30pm to have a look at the works, enjoy a drink at our donation bar, music and snacks. Live auction starts at 7pm. We're still seeking donations of craft in any of its wonderful forms, so if you'd like to make a donation, you can drop it off at 3CR any weekday between 9am and 5pm or email radiocraft3cr at gmail.com for more information. Summertime. Summertime brings wine. Pass me my Prosecco. Out on the patio. This year's delicious Radical Radio wines are generously sponsored by Breast Winery in the Harcourt Valley. Specially priced at only $20 a bottle and even cheaper by the dozen or half dozen. You can order via phone or online and collect it from 3CR during business hours up until noon on Tuesday the 24th of December. Perfect as a gift or to fill a raised glass to toast 3CR. Call the station during business hours on 9419 8377 to order or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Breast Wines is a 3CR supporter. Well, here we are back again to talk about the Religious Discrimination Bill. It is now in its second, second incarnation. It came out and uh, everybody's been allowed to comment on it. And everybody really seems to have been large numbers of uh, churches uh, and church institutions, although the Rationalist Society has had something to say also. They wanted uh, a definition, a proper definition of vilification and got it. Um, So that perhaps is one, one tick for them anyway. But there's lots and lots of ticks for the religious institutions that want to be given the right to discriminate against people on the basis of, well, on the basis of what they happen to believe in and the people who they think they should not be uh, employing. Uh, And uh, there has been a reaction. It's supposed to have gone through Parliament by the end of this year, but Morrison hasn't been able to put it through Parliament. And I'm not sure given the the extraordinary reaction to it in even its second incarnation, that it's going to get through the Parliament. I suppose we'll have to see how well Mr Morrison can duchess uh, Jackie Lambie again. But um, there is a, a series of very interesting letters to The Age on Thursday, which I'm going to ask Dale to read to you, because this, dear listeners, will give you uh, an indication of where those quiet Australians or those writing Australians or those thoughtful Australians are at with this freedom of discrimination, of, sorry, religious, uh, religious discrimination bill. Thanks, Jean. Yeah, the article, uh, well, I've got some comments uh, that were written into The Age last, uh, this Thursday, actually, Thursday, the 12th of December. Uh, on the religious discrimination bill, the first one, you're not one of us, so don't bother to apply. So, Scott Morrison is, is about to foist religious nepotism on us. If you're one, if you are not one of the family, you will not get the job, even if you are the most skilled applicant. How will the religious, how will the religious employers know if you are one of them? 
it will be a return to the days when job applicants had to declare their faith. Those of us who live a life unburdened by religion will be turned down by Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists and followers of Judaism. If you have a go, you'll get a go. Only out the door, it seems. And that was from Patrick in Elwood. And Jenny from Camberwell says, I am not allowed to discriminate against believers. As yet, there has been no explanation as to why one group in Australia is being given the right to discriminate against another group. As a non-believer in any God, I do not have the right to refuse to employ someone who believes in a God. However, if the coalition's bill is passed, this same group will have specific legislation which allows it to discriminate against me. Logic and equity appear to have been removed from the basic rights of Australians in the name of religion. And Louis from Fitzroy North says, Our duty is to care for all of our patients. I am a healthcare professional. My role, and that of all health professionals, is to maintain or improve the quality of life of our patients. It is not to deny services because of our personal beliefs. Then Gay from Waterna South says, Taken to the extreme, this bill has become farcical. So, pharmacists may be allowed to refuse to dispense contraceptives. A small inconvenience if you live in a big city or a large regional centre. A rather large problem if you live in a country town with a single pharmacy. Condoms, perhaps? Oh, but the franchisees of of the only supermarket will not stock them on religious grounds. Perhaps they will also refuse to stock any food item that's banned by the dietary requirement of their religion. Can no politician see how farcical this proposed bill is becoming? Then Harry says, uh, Harry from Collingwood says, how much can employers probe into our lives? The second draft of the Religious Discrimination Bill allows religious organisations, now including businesses, to discriminate against those who offend their various dogmas. Also, there are numerous heresies, sins and moral failings that are prescribed by sacred texts. Say a cleaner applies for a job in a religious aged care facility. Will they be asked whether they are unmarried and living in sin? Do they use contraception? Do they strictly adhere to the dietary rules at home if the facility is run by a Muslim or Jewish organisation? If these changes go through, privacy will go out the door. Perhaps such religious businesses should rename their departments that are responsible for hiring the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. And then uh, Graham from Yarra Glen says, We already have adequate anti-discrimination laws. Any bill that allows an institution or individual to discriminate in favour of a particular set of people by definition, means discriminating against people not in that set. The government should be intent on protecting religious people and indeed all people from discrimination, but it should not allow one group to discriminate against others under the dubious guise of religious freedom. Since there are already adequate anti-discrimination laws, including those that protect religious people, it seems the so-called religious freedom laws are at best unnecessary and, at worst, an attempt to protect bigotry, discrimination and vilification. And then Karen from Brunswick finally says, Morrison's misplaced priorities on what is important. Are you kidding While half the country is ablaze or breathing in thick smoke, the government is focused on the rights of pharmacists to refuse contraception to Australian women because of their personal beliefs. How did it come to this? Very interesting reactions to what is in fact a a loss of religious liberty in Australia. Religious liberty for all depends upon separation of religion from the state. And here you have the state at the behest of certain of our churches that are well, well, well funded by our taxpayers' money 
now telling other people what they can believe or do and how they can discriminate. Uh, this was all predicted by the uh, dogs back in 1981 when Section 116 was read down and out of the Constitution. This is not a question of religious liberty. The people in, who are writing these letters fully understand, I believe, that this is a blueprint for religious discrimination. It depends on who has the upper hand. And at the moment in Australia, the Catholic Church might appear to have the upper hand, but just wait because we have in our, in our community people from uh, religious groups that are used to actually having the state on their side too. So they will all be at each other's necks. And this is a great pity and it's the one thing that we can do without in this secular society of ours. Secular does not mean non-religious. Secular means everybody learning to live together. And that begins at school. And we have been holding the centre with our public education system for the last 60 years against this because the children in our public schools are learning to live together. It doesn't matter whether a little girl from a foreign country can't speak English or a little boy can't speak English and they come from a completely different religious and cultural background. They are in our classrooms and they are respected and they are equal to our Australian children of many generations. And the same goes for our Indigenous children. Only public education can bring our children and our society together. So that's the segregation argument. Uh, that we talked about, that we predicted it was going to happen and we are not gleeful that it has happened. We are very saddened and in grief that it has happened but we are prepared to fight against it. Now we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come to the last of our predictions. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. You've put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools.
Well, you're listening to the Dogs Program, and in, in this program we started with our press release uh, 8.20, in which we referred to the predictions that the dogs made back in the 1960s and how they've come to pass. Now, the final one was that when you have states within states or when you privatise public facilities like education, you end up with a lack of accountability and just downright corruption. And more particularly recently, we, we've seen quite a lot of this with what the Catholic education officers have been about when there is a lack of accountability. But the most glaring example of just downright corruption and scams has been in the vet sector, in the TAFE sector, which was privatised very largely by the Federal Labor Party and ended up in a $19 billion scam that nobody really wants to talk, talk about. Um, the, the state government is offering free places in public TAFEs to young people in a desperate attempt to produce a skilled workforce because they can't get everybody from overseas and have all of our young people unemployed because they are not skilled. But um, it's a very, very sad situation that our young generation of people uh, find themselves in because uh, the TAFE sector was given an open slather to put our children in debt and not provide them with the skills, and a lot of people have run away with a lot of money. Now, they're not talking about the billions of dollars, but they are talking about the people they've caught who are still not paying their fines. So it is still a running sore on our democratic processes. The most important thing in a democracy is that you tax people, which is being, uh, it is a compulsory thing. We tax people and they don't like being taxed, but we pay our money and we expect public services. But this money of ours is going out the other door, a leaky sieve, into private enterprise, which is not accountable. And this is undemocratic. This is corrupt. This is oligarchic. This is plutocracy. This cannot be tolerated in a democracy. But for the details about the latest uh, scandals in this area, I'll turn you over to Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes, I've got an article here by Farah Thomason, and it's uh, related directly to what you're talking about, uh, the hundreds of millions lost from vocational scheme. Federal authorities have spent almost $10 million chasing shonky training providers who conned taxpayers out of hundreds of millions of dollars, but not a single person has been charged with fraud over the scheme. Private colleges that systematically rorted Australia's vocational training system have also avoided repaying tens of millions of dollars in penalties by going into liquidation, while former students are saddled with massive debts, many having received no qualifications. The Sunday Age found evidence one training provider had paid a $4 million fine for unscrupulous behaviour, but the government refuses to say if it has recovered any other money from the scheme, which cost taxpayers $7.5 billion. As Prime Minister Scott Morrison tries to reform the vocational education and training sector, fresh evidence continues to emerge about the ongoing impact of the federal government's former student loan scheme known as Vet Fee Help. Supported by Labor and Liberal governments, the scheme granted up to $100,000 in taxpayer-funded loans for every person enrolled in a course. This created a perverse incentive for some colleges and brokers to enrol as many students as they could as they could, often offering free laptops and other incentives to vulnerable people to sign them up to courses they would they were never likely to finish. But three years since the program was scrapped, numerous providers have avoided being fully held to account while the cost to taxpayers keeps rising. The Sunday Age can reveal that since 2015, the government and the Australian Competition and 
Consumer Con- Commission have spent a combined $8.5 million to pursue six court cases against private training or colleges. The Education Department has spent another $3.7 million investigating about 45 providers suspected of rotting the system. However, no investigation has yet resulted in fraud charges. Two legal battles involving the Phoenix Institute and Captain Cook College are ongoing. Meanwhile, a number of providers have been hit with more than $35 million worth of federal court-imposed penalties, but some have gone into liquidation and avoided paying up. Among these was Empower Institute, the Sydney-based college that was given 26.5 given a $26.5 million fine and ordered to repay $56 million to the Commonwealth for using unconscionable tactics to enrol more than 4,000 students between June 2014 and December 2014. Only 42 of those 4,000 completed their course. Another was Acquire Learning, a broker that recruited students for vet fee help providers and once had a former AFL AFL boss, Andrew Dimitriou, on its advisory board. The group received a $4.5 million penalty in 2017, with the court likening its activities to an unscrupulous fly-by-night operation. An ACCC spokesman said that while the consumer watchdog was not able to recover penalties from a company in liquidation, the sanctions nonetheless demonstrate the serious nature of the conduct and will deter other businesses from engaging in similar conduct. How Australia's educational education debacle is still creating victims. And in at, one, at least one case, money has been recouped. Unique International College was fined $4.16 million for exploiting six people, one of whom was an Aboriginal man with learning difficulties, lured by the offer of a free laptop. The penalty has been paid in full. At the time of launching court action against vet fee help providers, a court order was necessary to enable affected consumers to have their student debts cancelled, an ACCC spokesman said. This made court action important regardless of a vet fee help provider's ability to pay any eventual penalty. The latest revelations are further evidence of the ongoing legacy of vet fee help, which cost taxpayers $7.5 billion between 2009 and 2016, most of which went to private colleges over public TAFE. They also come after the Sunday Age revealed that the Morrison government this year alone had to wipe more than $493 million worth of inappropriate debt for about 38,000 people, most of whom had loans issued without their consent when they were signed up to substandard courses. While the government is now reforming the sector through a $585 million skills package, industry bosses say vet fee help left people so distrustful of vocational education that many have instead opted to study at universities. Students who would have gone into vet as, as a pathway are no longer doing that and we're not quite certain if we'll ever get them back, said TAFE Director's Australia Chief Craig Robertson. Vet fee help was replaced with a tougher student loan system in January 2017. Under the new system, loans are capped to limits ranging between about 5000 to 15000 depending on the cost of delivering a qualification. But critics say that the new caps are too restrictive, making it difficult to run enough quality courses. According to department data, 14 providers have entered into external administration or liquidation since the new loan scheme began. But the government declined to answer questions last week about their circumstances. A spokesman for Skills Minister Michaela Cash simply said, quality vocational education vocational training is critical to our economy and the government does not tolerate 
poor quality training providers. Well, she's right, but why are they tolerating it? Um, you're not going to get uh, proper education with private providers. You can only do it, and she and Mr Tian should be held responsible, Miss Ministers for Education, providing free, secular and um, ex- excellent education for our children. They should be held responsible. Absolutely. They're irresponsible. Mm. And, you know, TAFE is now, you know, a shadow of its former self and the way this, the way it's set up now, providing all of this choice, uh, you have the choice to a substandard degree. And a robo-debt. And a robo-debt, Yeah. It's really a very, very disappointing situation that we've arrived in because uh, our people, first of all, starting with state aid for private education, have transferred this to the tertiary sector and um, have made a wonderful mess. When will they ever learn? However, the dogs are still here. We predicted that this would happen and we suggest that the time has come to say, wrong way, go back, let's have a genuinely free, secular and universal education system for all from birth to the grave. That is what citizens in a democracy should expect, particularly if they pay taxes. Mm. So I think that's enough for today. And uh, next week, hopefully, Robert will be back with his great state school. I'm sorry that we've let you down this week, but we'll make up for it next week. So it's bye for now from Dale and myself. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I did, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find Joe, you're ten years dead.